Revolutionary Podcast coming your way, episode 588. Today, we're going to be talking about new studies on the fasting benefits and longevity. So this is a really, really good one. Um, we like to kind of do a podcast about fasting like once a year just to give you a little more information about it. I know a lot of people um, are always asking about fasting. They want to learn more about it. They're curious about it. It kind of is um, is a weapon that people are using, whether you're a professional bodybuilder, the last three Mr. Olympias, they fast during a, a religious holiday called Ramadan, and they fast for a month, sunrise to sunset. And they'll eat either before sunrise or after or both, and they'll fast in between. And, um, and then you also have professional bodybuilders who do fasted cardio every morning. Uh, that, and that's well documented. Um, as a weapon to burn extra fat. So one of the reasons why you do fasted cardio earlier in the morning and why it's so effective at fat loss is if you're fasting all night, you know, you wake up in the morning and you do cardio, your body has to find energy on your body to burn. Now, it's not going to attack your muscle stores. It's not going to attack your muscle tissues because that's just not how our bodies work. Our, and what's going to happen is it's going to attack your fat stores first because that's your storage energy to be used when your body needs it. And if you're a person and you're holding a lot of body fat, your body is not going to use that body fat unless you force it to use that body fat. So if you're throwing food at your body as soon as you get up in the morning and every two, three hours during the day, when does your body have an opportunity to even tap into those extra energy stores that you're holding on your body. And we're holding a lot of calories on our body. Um, and depending, like if you're an obese person, I mean, you're holding 50,000, 100,000 calories on your frame. You could go weeks, months with no food and you would be perfectly fine. You're not going to die. Um, so that's just the way our bodies are, are, are set up. And uh, we're going to go over, Mobster and I, we're going to first touch on a little bit about the history um, behind, you know, human evolution. So if you go back to the dinosaur time, um, an asteroid, you know, uh, hit, hit Yucatan Peninsula, uh, Gulf of Mexico, it caused destruction beyond comprehension and it completely changed earth so at that time dinosaurs were dominating and mammals which were our ancestors were tiny mammals and they were barely scraping by and what happened was when the at that time food was plentiful there was plenty of foliage and and plants dinosaurs that were plant eaters were able to eat tons they would just go and ravage a forest you know in, in groups and packs and there would be plenty of food for them. And then you have a T-Rex, which was a meat eater. And the T-Rex would go and eat 80, 100, 200 pounds of meat a day. It had plenty of food to, to survive and flourish in that era. But when that day came, you had fires, you had tsunamis, the sky was blackened, the plants died, you had carbon dioxide increase, you had basically a fireball across earth and it was just a natural disaster beyond what we can imagine and the temperatures changed so the dinosaurs could not survive that because the dinosaurs what ended up happening they needed food every single day and a shit ton of food every single day to survive 
But our ancestors, the small mammals, what they did, they went underground. They hid for months, weeks, as long as it took while the destruction was happening. And they could go a long period without food and they could go a long period scavenging for what little calories they could they could manage. And that's the way they were able to come out of it that that time um, as the dominant you know, group. And the dinosaurs never came back and they just went extinct. So we saw that. Now, certain animals like crocodiles and alligators, they were able to survive. Certain fish were able to survive. But larger fish, the large sharks, they weren't able to survive. So we saw the bigger you were, the less chance you had to survive because you weren't able to have plentiful amount of food. So now humans over time, and I'll bring in mobster to talk a little bit more of this. We had competitors. We had human-like species. There were about a half a dozen of them, including yeah. the Neanderthals, that we competed against for territory. We competed against for food. But the way we were actually able to dominate those human-like species and they went extinct even though we're about five or ten percent of some of these some of us have the dna if you're from asia or you're from parts of um, other parts of the world you might have a five or ten percent dna from these human-like species that existed but that we were able to dominate them because we were able to go and survive the famines in the drought. So our bodies have built-in mechanisms in our DNA to fast, to go through periods of famine, and it's a necessary thing, and it, what's, it's what makes us stronger. So we're going to go over some studies that confirm this, but I'll bring a monster to talk a little bit about, about the way humans evolved compared yeah, to other yeah. animals. So, yeah. so here's the thing, Steve, and I've touched on this before. There's an argument to be made for us to have changed very little in reality. We are a very young species. When Steve's talking about the dinosaurs, I think the last was, what, 230 million years ago, even 120 million years ago, something like that, Steve. You know, with that sort of stuff is still around, some, something like that. In terms of humanity, we are about recognisable as human beings, I think about 2 million years old-ish, might be less. Right. So against other species and other animals, insects and whatever else, we are young. We barely evolved. So here's the thing. And we've touched on this on other shows. We've talked about the human physiology and how we respond. Why do we store fat? And also how, as Steve said, we was, we was, the Neanderthals were stronger than us, Steve, physically stronger than us. It's just that they lacked the adaptability and the ability to make tools and so on and so forth. So here's the thing, right? And the reason why we are perfectly fine with fasting and perfectly fine with storing fat. Now, if you live in the cold areas, vis-a-vis -vis Eskimos, Inuits, etc., etc., Steve, it's naturally normal both to eat fat and also to store fat just to keep you alive. But let's take the rest in, in, in where it's reasonably warm, like here in the United Kingdom, stupidly warm, i.e. around the equator and so on and so forth. If you were running around primitive society, you didn't get to have three square meals a day. You barely got to have three square meals a day, Stephen, in medieval times, I think it was two, one in the morning and one at night, although they did eat a lot more calories than we do. But they were working like motherfuckers. But for primitive times, quite simply, we hunted and we gathered. And if we didn't, didn't find anything to hunt and we couldn't find enough to gather, we went without, which meant quite simply feast and famine or arguably feast and fasting. Days when we didn't eat as much or nothing 
compared to other days. And of course, we hadn't learned to refrigerate, to reserve food and so on and so forth. So the feast part was we ate what we hunted or we ate what we gathered, which might be a shitload one day and nothing the next. If it went off, couldn't eat it. So there's that. And there's a reason why human physiology is set up to store fat. Again, you might live in a warm part of the world, literally around the equator, parts of Africa and the Middle East and so on and so forth. And yet you'll still find now, but obviously back in primitive times, people that were put on weight, quite simply because they had an abundance of food and your body was saving energy, as Steve said, the fat specifically for those times when there wasn't any food. Of course, as civilizations created crops and we started to learn how to preserve food, we didn't need to do that. But we've only really been doing that off the top of my head, say something between 20 and 40,000 years of civilizations existing, and we've learned to do those things. So, again, that is a fraction of the time that we've existed as human beings, and we are a really young species who's been incredibly adaptive. But what it all mean, comes down to, and the point of this podcast, of course, is that fasting, in terms of a historical imperative and whatever else, Steve, is perfectly normal behaviour for human beings. And as Steve said, and we know this just from our own local last couple of hundred years' history, there have been times where we've been abandoned in a shipwreck, or in a prisoner of war camp, or, or whatever, Steve, there's been times when we've gone without for a very long periods of time and then come back. And that's and, and then, of course, you've got famines and so on and so forth. In fact, there's a, a, very quickly, um, if you give someone who is starving a great deal of food, you can actually kill them. So they've actually learned not to do that. They give them a, like a really thin, high-protein gruel to allow them to accommodate food and so on and so forth. But, yeah, it's perfectly normal in our historical times the times that we've been able to go to the shops and grow crops and preserve food and whatever else is a fractional percentage, tiny percentage, one percent, Steve, of the time that we've existed as human beings. So our physiology, our anatomy, whatever, is set up to perfectly cope with, cope with both fasting and yeah. obviously feasting. Now, yeah. Steve's obviously going to talk about the benefits specifically now when we almost eat too much and overdo it and, and, and the physiology. There's only one small change, Steve, which we'll touch upon. And it's arguably, and I thought it was wrong, but I've actually looked at this, very small change to our DNA as a result of the food that we eat now in the last hundred or so years. Yeah, back to you. Yeah, and everything you eat changes your DNA. So, um, like, the next time you eat a meal, it's going to change your DNA. We, we are con constantly um, doing that. But here, here's how it ties into bodybuilding, why it's important, especially for steroid users, to do some sort of fasting. And um, I've talked to bodybuilders over the years who've been steadfastly against fasting. Then I've touched base with them, you know, over time. And they said, yeah, Steve, you know what? You know, I, I, I tried it. I, um, and I noticed I was actually able to be more success successful. I was able to improve my sleep. I was able to grow more muscle. I was able to get stronger fasting. And I kind of didn't understand it, but now I get it. So I'm going to I'm going to show you a couple studies um some this is a new study that came out on something called FOXO3 and FOXO3 is a gene in the body which upregulates target genes involving in things like stress resistance, metabolism, cell cycle arrest and apoptosis and this is all very important because it works within, you know, the cells of our body and this gene only gets activated when you're fasting. So you cannot, if you wake up in the morning, eat breakfast, throw food at your body, then eat every two or three hours throughout the day, 
then before bed, eat, then sleep for six, seven, eight hours, then wake up, eat, and you're never getting this. You're never getting this. So think about it in your mind. If you have relatives or friends or something who are always sick, they're always, you know, uh, some they have all kinds of medical issues. And think about the way they approach food and the way they treat food like as a tree and as something they have to throw at their body all the time. Well, you're not getting that FOXO3. So when you're fasting, the FOXO3 travels to the nucleus of the cell and tra triggers genes. The stress of fasting triggers FOXO3, which boosts glutathione and other antioxidants, which, makes you, which make you stronger. So in the bad news is, for those of you who are constantly like throwing food at your body, is that insulin is a blocker of FOXO3. So whether you're either taking diabetes medication, you know, you have, I'm sure a lot of you have relatives who are type 2 diabetes, I do. They either take a medication, which helps their pancreas produce insulin, or they inject insulin itself. So when you do that, you're actually blocking FOXO3. So you're basically making your situation worse. It's a, it's a similar concept behind cholesterol medication. Cholesterol medication is a wonderful thing. It can help balance your cholesterol, but it's not something you want to use long term because now you're throwing off the balance of, of your body's ability to regulate itself and detox itself. So that's why you see people who are heart attack victims, a doctor will put them on cholesterol medication, which does the trick of getting their cholesterol under control, but they never seem to get better unless they completely revamp their lifestyle and unless they start fasting. And a lot of cardiologists are actually speaking out and talking about fasting and how they actually are trying to get their clients to get into fasting because fasting, fasting is the solution not being on cholesterol medication the rest of your life. You want to use cholesterol medication for a certain amount of time. You want to use diabetes medication for a certain amount of time. But during that process, you want to improve your body's health so you don't need to take the medication. It's not something you just get on for the rest of your life. But most people, they'll get on these medications and they'll stay on them the rest of their life. And that's really not going to pay off for you because of this example I just showed you. You're not going to get your FOXO3 anymore. You're done. And you're not going to have any way to clean those pipes. Just like when you flush your toilet and the shit leaves your house. Well, in this case, you're not going to have the shit leave your house. It's just going to sit in your body and fester and make you more and more sick over time. And that's why you see people who are on. This is why I'm so much against diabetes medication. Like the people who are using these diabetes medications to lose fat because everybody wants a pill, all right? Everyone wants the pill, but instead of taking this pill, which is doing more harm than good, why don't you just fast and you'll get all the benefits of fat loss and you'll get hundreds of other health benefits that we're going to get into shortly. Monster touched on that a little bit and then we'll move on to the next study. Yeah, so very quickly, I've I've mentioned this as an issue, Steve, with type 2 diabetes specifically. Uh, the benefits of fasting are over and above what type 2 diabetics should be doing. And in fact, arguably, some other stuff that we're going to deal with includes sensible, good eating habits as well as fasting. In fact, the fasting in a couple of examples gives additional benefits, which we'll touch upon. Type 2 diabetes, type 2 diabetics, nine times out of 10, and I mean literally 90%, are lifestyle associated. So if you're sitting on your fat ass eating crap, and listeners, I hope I'm not talking to people that are doing that, of course, 
But if that's what you're doing, and as Steve said, if you go to a doctor for anything that a lifestyle change could have fixed and wants a pill to fix it, I'm going to be crude, Steve. You're saying you're lazy motherfuckers. 90% of type 2 diabetics who exercise more than they are right now, who change their diet and have a more active lifestyle, find that they no longer require the medication or, for one of a better phrase, the type 2 diabetes goes away. Now, there's always going to be 10%, and I know this because I've spoken to a couple, who are, it's genetic, it's specific, and they really require medication. But the rest thing is lifestyle associated. But like I said, and we'll touch upon this, some of the stuff that we're talking about today is sensible, good eating habits, exercise, and so on and so forth. But when fasting has been included in the study, there's been a benefits over and above the sensible lifestyle, the, the better eating and the more exercise. So what back to you, Steve. So let's talk about fat a little bit, body fat. Now, I just want to be clear. There is a lot of benefits to fasting, but a lot of people obviously listen to this podcast. You want to fast to lose fat, and that's fine. You know, that's really one of 100 different benefits, but I get it. Everybody wants to lose fat and stay lean. So here's the thing. You're going to like this one is there's a difference between brown fat and white fat. Brown fat is metabolically active fat and white fat is the unsightly fat we don't want. So you were seeing like a fat person, they're holding that the, the fat around their stomach, around their thighs, especially with women on their butts. That's the white fat. That's the one we don't like to see. Here's the thing with fasting. And this is the only way to accomplish this, to turn the white fat into brown fat. Fasting is the only way to do it. And it's the most efficient way to do it. So a study came out that they were, they, they did this. This was on, uh, this was on rodents all, you know, just to be clear, it wasn't on humans. But we know it works on humans because we've seen the anecdotal evidence that it works on humans. And there's going to be some more studies that come out. But what they do is because you create a higher metabolic rate when you transfer that fat from white fat to brown fat. So that's why you notice with people who um, you go back and look at shows from the 70s and 80s or, or you have relatives, you look at pictures from the 70s, and 80s, just look at their body structure and see how different it is than what we see in America today. The way, the way we're holding so much body fat on our frame. And it's because we're holding all that white fat instead of the brown fat. So that's a great way right there just to make your body look different is by, is by fasting. And you can just zap away that, that white fat. So another study here was sent to one of our, from one of our vets on the forum, Zacchaeus. And he actually messaged me. It was, it was ironic, mobster. It's a couple ironic things. Number one, I'm actually in the middle of a fast right now. I've been fasting for about, I'd say, 30, 48 hours now. So I'm going to fast for probably four or five days, maybe longer. We'll see what happens. And so that's the ironic thing. But also an ironic thing, too, is a member who didn't even know we were doing this podcast, by the way, because we do record these podcasts ahead of time. He actually messaged me yesterday with a fasting study. And he said, Steve, check this out. I just saw this. And he actually got this off of Newsweek, which is a media outlet. And this, this um, study um, talked about the objective was intermittent energy restriction, which is IER, and talking about it as an effective weight loss strategy. No shit. We already know this. But I just wanted to, to talk about this because they also found 
they weren't intending to find this, but they actually found it. And it's like, again, no shit. If you listen to this podcast, you already know. But they studied 25 obese individuals. They successfully lost weight after a two-month IER intervention. And they actually tested their brain regions, the activity of their brain regions. They actually found um, the... It was metagenomic sequencing was performed to identify differentiating abundant gut microbes and pathways in from fecal samples. So it was kind of um, it was kind of a nasty study. Let's put it that way, monster. But what they found was the conclusion was, I'll read a little bit about the results. They said that uh, the IER reduced the activity of obese-related brain regions at different time points including the inferior frontal orbital gyrus and the co cognitive control circuit uh, in the emotion and learning circuit and the interior cingulate cortex in the sensory circuit. So it reduced E. coli abundance in, in across multiple time points while elevating the abundance of obesity-related fasci bacterium prosnitsi and a couple others as well. So the correlation analysis revealed long getunelli correlations between a gut bacteria abundance alterations and brain activity changes. So the conclusion was there was dynamic alteration of BGM axis, the communication of E. coli with specific brain regions during the weight loss under the IER. So not only did they have significant weight loss, and they found an average, they lost an average of 17 pounds and 7.8% of their average body weight. But they also had the brain benefit. So it's like, no shit, we already know this. There's been studies also that have come out showing, and these are newer studies as well, on the brain, on proteins in the brain, which cause cognitive issues later on where you're not even able to walk as you get older. You're not even able to swallow as you get older. You're not able to, you're, you're forgetting things. It's all this stuff in the brain um, that, that, that triggers this as you get older, well, it found with fasting, it actually destroys those proteins in the brain and it recycles those cells. And it basically what this study here that I'm reading shows is it cleans the brain out and that's what it can do. So fasting has long-term benefits that you don't think about. If you're, if you start fasting in your twenties and thirties, as you get older, once you get past mobster's age, 60s, 70s, you're going to be thinking and you're going to be physically fit more than someone who wasn't fasting based on based on these studies. Go ahead, mobster, touch on that and we'll move on to the next group of studies. Yeah, there's two things, Stephen. I'm making notes as we're talking um, very quickly. Guys, listeners, old people, we've touched on this when we've talked about, I mean, this point of this podcast today is also longevity, the effect of fasting and aging, basically, how long you're going to live. So if you Google who's the oldest person on earth, Steve, and especially if you YouTube it, you'll come across a series of, I think in one video, they pretty much were like 10 of the oldest people ever. None of them are big. They're all small. And they all don't eat much. And that's, I'm, I'm not saying that just as a thing. It's kind of obvious. If you're going to be 400 pounds, that motherfucker, you're going to die young. But the reality of the situation is that, the again, and this is societal as well, Steve, because you and I have talked about blue zones. If you look at those places on Earth, geographically speaking, where people live longer, they aren't giant fat motherfuckers. They're not even giant muscular motherfuckers. They are small and they don't eat a lot or they're super active and they eat 
in moderation as just as opposed to fasting. So literally eating less means overall that you should last longer. You're also going to use less energy because you're smaller and so forth. The other thing, Steve, and I noticed a slight connection because I think Steve's touched upon other shows when we talked about fasting as a, a means of either resetting or at least improving gut flora and fauna, specifically that there are studies out there that are not associated with fasting which look at gut health and the effect of, as Steve just said, on your mental abilities, but also on your overall health, that if you fix the gut and the gut health is good, you are less likely to have issues because your immune system improves, but also cognitives, for example, Steve. And in fact, something that lots of our listeners, including me, would have started struggled with. There are times when I have been, for want of a better phrase, hangry, by hungry and, and kind of like getting a bit miserable and, and titchy and starting to get a little bit bitey and snappy and whatever else. And so literally just give me a snack and I'm fine. But the other thing is also, and you'll find this amongst um, thinkers rather than doers, the thinkers find sometimes there's a clarity that comes from being hungry and thinking about a problem or solving an issue or whatever, all at the same time. So, again, these two things can be connected, both the gut flora and the resetting of or the improvement of gut health via fasting, Steve. Back to you. Yeah, so let's cover. We don't have much time left, but let me cover as much as I can so to make people understand what happens when you fast. Now, what Mobster mentioned about the blue zones, the blue people in the blue zones are the people that live over 100 years old, and there's certain parts of the world that do that. One of the common denominators that they do is fasting. They do five, six other things. We've done podcasts on blue zones. You guys can go back and look at those. But fasting is definitely a very, very important part, whether it be alternate day fasting, prolonged fasting, uh, the people in Icaria off the coast of Greece, they fast six months total out of the year, not six months in a row, but the total, they might fast for a week, then eat for a week, back and forth. So over the course of the year, six months out of the year, they're fasting and they, God damn, they, they live over a hundred years old. No problem. So let me explain because a lot of bodybuilders, mobster, they're worried about fasting. Like, oh my God, I'm going to lose my muscle. I'm going to lose my muscle. So let me give you a study that shows what happens when you fast. And it's not what you think. So when you start fasting right off the bat, you're, the way your body goes after energy is not the way you think. It doesn't go after protein. Protein actually drops slightly and then flatlines. Even if you fast 30 days, protein flatlines. But fat in ketones spike instantly. Um, not, not instantly, but about... Uh, 15 to 20 hours into a fast and it depends on the person but about 15 20 hours in the fast it will spike i know with me because i fast regularly and i don't eat refined sugars or anything my obviously i go into ketosis much quicker than someone who has a lot of fat storage or, or eats a lot of sugar but um that's what happens so your body actually it spikes immediately within the first couple of days and then flatlines really really high and then carbs completely tanks and goes all the way down, obviously, because you're fasting and then flatlines below protein. So your body is not it, it, the, pro, the protein thing. Oh, my God, I need protein after work. I need protein after workout. That's not the way our bodies work. And if you go back and re-listen to what Mobster and I were talking about at the beginning, there's a reason for that. And there's a reason that we survive as Homo sapiens and the Neanderthals and our other human competitors and dinosaurs before us did not survive. But then the little rodents that we came from survive because of this ability 
to use energy via ketones and fat. And that's what we tap into. We don't go and attack the protein in our muscles when you're in a fast. Your muscle tissue will not drop. You will lose strength on a fast. I just want to be clear. We, you will lose strength on a fast. When I did a long, prolonged fast, my strength took a hit. I think I went from benching like 350 pounds at the time. And I was going in there and I was putting like one plate on the bar. That's how much, but then it rebounds after you come off the fast, you see. So it's a temporary thing, but it will drop during your fast. Absolutely. But your muscle tissue will not drop. I took before and after pictures. and You guys can go check out that log I did when I did a prolonged fast. I look more muscular after the fast than I did before. But it's not because I put on muscle during the fast, because you don't put on muscle during a fast, but you don't lose muscle either. But I was still working out during my fast. So let's say you just fast for 30 days and you don't work out at all. Yes, you'll probably lose, lose, lose muscle. Absolutely. That's just common sense. But if you're continuously working out during your fast, you're not going to lose any muscle because you're still stressing out the muscle where it still has a reason to be there, you see. So that's that's the other thing. Um, cancer, it's another, and there's been several studies that have come out with cancer because when you get into a fast, what happens is your body goes into autophagy mode where cells start to be destructed. And it's very, very important too to prevent cancer. Now, if you've got cancer already ravaged in your body and you said, you know what, now I'm gonna decide to fast, I'm sorry, in most cases, it's too late. So I'm not telling you, if you have a relative or something who has cancer, bless them for real, but I'm not telling you to go tell them, hey, just go fast because it's going to kill your cancer. It will help. And they do use fasting in cancer clinics nowadays. And they do tell you to do a lot of fasting when you're going into chemo, just so you don't get sick as well. But also because it will help, it will help the chemo actually fight the cancer cells. But the, 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 the scenario that you want to do is pre-cancer, pre later on in life, am I prone to certain cancers genetically? Yes. So why don't I do some fasting so that later on I have a less of a chance of getting those cancer cells growing in my body? So the more you fast, the more those cancer cells get destroyed in your body where they don't get a hand to hand. So let me, let me, finish, let me finish this mob serve. Yeah, let me finish this really quick. You're asking, how can I fast as a bodybuilder, as an athlete? So one of the simplest ways to do it, if you really, really want to get the, the benefits, is alternate day fasting. And a study came out where they did alternate day fasting for 42 days and 70 days. It was the same people. So really, they, they, they tested them at day 14, at day 41, and at day 70. So the ones that... Um, at day one, they were at 109 was their waist in centimeters. At 41, they were at 106. And at, at 70, they were at 105. So they lost four centimeters off their waist in 90 and 70 days of alternate day fasting. So that would be fasting day one, eating two or three healthy meals day two, fasting day three, eating day four. So it's alternate day fasting, really, really easy to do. So if you really wanted to, to lose body fat, and what's interesting in this one, Monster, is their uh, fat-free mass actually stayed the same. It went from 52 to 52.8 on their feed day, which was day 69, and 51.9 on day 70 of their, of their fast day. So their fat-free mass, muscle tissue, did not budge, but their fat mass went from 43 
down to 38. Wow. So that's amazing. So that that would be if you guys are listening to this, you're like, man, I want to try fasting. I want to do it the easy way, but I, you know, I, I don't want to go five days, 10 days fast. Alternate day fasting would be the way you do it. And that would get you the results you want. And these were athletes. These weren't just obese people who they said, go eat McDonald's for a month and come back and let's do this. These were already athletes who are in shape and already eating good. And they were able to actually have those types of results. And um, there was, it was pretty impressive. And, and just in case you're curious, day one, 96.4 kilograms was their body weight. And day 69, which was their free day, it was 92.8. And their fast day was 90.8. So they dropped about Seven, six, six kilograms. Nearly 15 but, pounds. Yeah. And yeah. that was fat. It wasn't muscle. And in the process, what I talked about earlier with the study, their white, their white fat turned into brown fat during that time too. So it became easier for them in the future to lose body fat and put on and, and, and keep their muscle in the future. So it's just the benefits are tremendous. So that study was right there was uh what was it right there, mobster. So finish up your final thoughts. Take us a disclaimer. Right. So make sure listeners, your, your, your habits today should be good. Your eating habits today should be good. Your training habits should be good. Those should be givens. If you're looking for shortcuts, you need to have those two things in place before you do anything else. We touched upon not being able to peel your way out of bad habits. You should have good habits and then treat an illness and get better and so on and so forth. The same thing applies to something like this. The body is incredibly adaptive. Steve and I have touched upon it. And if it wasn't, we wouldn't be here as a species. And Steve and I wouldn't be recording this podcast for you to listen to. But by all means, and especially the last one, Steve, the alternative day fasting, that sounds like a very easy way for you to try something that might be a little bit scary just to get the feel of it, see how it, your body responds. And if it's positive, absolutely amazing fix for a lot of people. So, but again, something like that, Steve, you could run for two weeks. It's, it eats seven days and fast for seven days or in, in those days. So by all means, give it a try. Please note, we are not doctors and opinions are ours. It's our view and based on our experience and views on the topic. And podcasts are for informational purposes and entertainment only. The freedom of speech and the First Amendment applies.